Uh, hello, my name is Mike Diedrich, and this is the Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 radio show, but bar, uh, broadcast on KODX 96.9. Uh, with me today is sort of a continuation of what we were talking about earlier last week, and that is nuclear energy, and uh, um, in this case, it will be the uh, Golden Rule and also Navy and Seafare. With me today are uh, Tom Rogers and uh, Glenn Milner both longtime activists with uh, Ground Zero in, um, in Bremerton. So uh, uh, let Tom start with an introduction and background to the Golden Rule. What was the Golden Rule, Tom? Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, Golden Rule is a 30-foot uh, wooden uh, gaff-rigged catch that was was built uh, in the mid '50s, um, and was uh, bought by a, a group of Quakers who sailed it from the West Coast to uh, Hawaii uh, with the intention of continuing on to the Marshall Islands uh, to disrupt uh, atmospheric nuclear weapons testing uh, over the Marshalls. And um, they were um, prevented from doing that uh, when they left Hawaii. Um, they were very open about what they were doing. And uh, the United States government had uh, created a, an illegal, vast exclusion area uh, for shipping uh, because they were um, exploding uh, massive thermonuclear weapons. And um, so, the, so they were arrested. Uh, the ship, the boat was um, impounded. And um, there was a lot of uh, demonstrations. And uh, a lot of people think that this led to the 1963 uh, uh, nuclear let's see oh, what's it called the uh, atmospheric nuclear weapons testing ban uh and there's another name for it but i can't remember it but um in uh oh, 2010 or so the uh, golden rule was, was reborn uh because uh, it had sunk in uh, humboldt bay and uh, on 4th of July, uh, some folks uh, found it on the beach and uh, they were having a party and decided it would make a really great bonfire, except that there was some uh, VFP guys there who said, hey, wait a minute. I know what the golden rule is. This is a famous historical peace boat. And um, they took it on uh, and restored it. And um, since then, uh, Golden Rule has been doing a lot of, uh, has been doing uh, peace work. And uh, I first met uh, Golden Rule uh, in 2016 when uh, she sailed up uh, the Columbia River and into Seattle. Uh, two different 
they didn't actually sail up the Columbia River into Seattle. They <laughs> sailed <laughs> up the Columbia River, uh, back down the Columbia River, and I, I was on board as a crew member. And then um, we uh, went to uh, Seattle and eventually over to um, the Hood Canal in August of 2016 and uh, did uh, the first uh, waterborne demonstration against nuclear weapons uh, at the Trident submarine base uh, at Bangor. And uh, we, we told them uh, that we were blockading the base and, and uh, the base security said, well, that, that's, that's just fine, but uh, we don't have anybody scheduled to come or go, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it was a, a waterborne uh, demonstration. We had uh, two sailboats, a couple of powerboats, uh, I think eight or nine kayaks, um, two Coast Guard cutters, no less than eight uh, Navy security patrol boats, uh, and the Kitsap County Sheriff uh, all there uh, at Bangor. And, uh, it was a, a great success, and uh, Golden Rule was the flagship. Um, in 2019, uh, the project, and I got a, a shout out to uh, Helen uh, Jackard and Jerry Condon, because they have devoted their lives to Golden Rule for the past 10 years and are still uh, working hard. Um, they came up with a plan to reenact the uh, the crime uh, of 1958 and uh, to sail from the West Coast to Hawaii onto the Marshalls, Guam, Okinawa, and to arrive in Hiroshima um, in uh, August of 2020 for the 75th anniversary. Uh, commemoration of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, and I was uh, first mate on uh, the crew that uh, sailed uh, the, the boat uh, to Hawaii in um, the summer of 2019. Um, it was a harrowing journey uh, because, you know, it really wasn't a very good boat. <laughs> uh, very hard to sail, very heavy, um, very uncomfortable. And uh, we managed to sail it to Hawaii. Um, and um, then uh, they were gonna winter over there. And uh, in the spring of 2020, we're planning to go to the Marshalls and everybody knows what happened. Um, COVID came, uh, the Marshall Islands closed to uh, uh, any um, visiting. And uh, so uh, eventually after uh, sailing around the islands for several months and doing a lot of presentations and peace work there, uh, they came back and um, regrouped. Uh, we'll have a, a new crew, a new captain, and in uh, 22, September of 22, they plan to call a, what they're calling the Great Loop Voyage, and it's a 10,000-mile voyage uh, that doesn't cross any oceans. Um, 
they're uh, putting a golden rule on a truck and trucking to Minneapolis and uh, sailing down the Mississippi, stopping every night uh, to do a presentation uh, in a church or community center or something, uh, talking about uh, nuclear weapons, uh, militarism, and you know the work that uh, Veterans for Peace does. Um, the voyage uh, will, will take 15 months, uh, visit uh, 100 cities, and um, I said, uh, we'll go uh, 10,000 miles. Um, they're going down to Mississippi, all the way to New Orleans, uh, across the Gulf Coast, uh, up the East Coast, all the way to uh, Kittery, Maine, uh, then back to New York, up the Hudson River, through the Great Lakes, um, back down the Illinois River uh, to the Gulf Coast again. And, uh, and that's the voyage, and uh, it sounds really exciting. And um, I would uh, recommend anybody to uh, take a look at uh, the uh, Golden Rule Project uh, webpage. It's called uh, VFP Golden Rule Project. And uh, take a look at what they're doing and uh, send them some money. Uh, everybody knows about boats. You, you can't run them without money. So... Uh, that's the golden rule. And, uh, and again, uh, I want to thank uh, Jerry and, and Helen for the, the great work they're doing. And also commemorate that I just called them a few weeks ago. They were in uh, Ireland uh, honeymooning. Uh, Jerry and, and uh, Helen have been together for like uh, 18 years and uh, decided to uh, get married. And uh, so congratulations to uh, Jerry and Helen uh, on the, the next part of their lives. I just might just mention that Jerry and Helen were a member of chapter 92 for while Jerry was a chapter president for uh, a year or so. And uh, Helen was also active <coughs> in uh, uh, counter recruiting here while she was here. She was actually the one who said, uh, made, raised the point that about uh, opting out for uh, students who are opting out of uh, contact by military recruiters. And so if you don't do that by the, by the time you're a freshman, you're in the system. You're not going to opt out later. It's like, you know, it's a done deal. Seattle School District has yet to respond to that, but uh, that's a, that was an important point. And it's, it's a, a fact of uh, military recruiting is that once you're in there, you're in their system. So, uh, Thanks, Tom. Uh, we might get back to that, uh, some of the points of the, of the um, golden rule, but uh, the uh, going on with our, our sort of nautical theme, Seafair uh, <laughs> is just about, a, about on us, and that is a, for Seattle anyway, a big chance for the Navy and, as you said, Boeing too, to showcase their, their, uh, their uh, expenditures. And uh, part of part of that, of course, is the Navy is a nuclear Navy now, and uh, it's um, not their expenditures; it's our expenditures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't you give us a background, uh, Glenn, on on what's what's happened before with uh, Seafair and uh, a couple other things, you know, the planes, etc. <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the Golden Rule is also still a Vets for Peace project as well. 
Um, yeah, so the Peace Fleet is a, an action that Ground Zero started in 2000. And it's one, it's actually kind of a minor event for us because I mean, we don't really want to take away from the larger events on this year is August 7th and August 8th is where we'll have um, demonstrations at the submarine base and probably on August 8th we'll usually what we'll do is block the highway. I think there's actually some pretty big plans for a dance uh, in the roadway, a, a presentation performance in the roadway. And we also have other things we have um, uh, this Sunday we have in the Kitsap Center, we'll have a full page ad, um, which will be the appeal to Navy personnel um, to not engage in illegal activities, which in, in our mind and many other people's minds are involved launching nuclear weapons. Um, there's also more ads. Um, there's an ad uh, August 5th for Hiroshima, August 9th for Nagasaki. And then the appeal will run again. We're also running another, an ad in a new newspaper called Cascadia Daily News in Bellingham. And this is Ron Judd was the Seattle Times reporter who's now the editor of that paper. And so they come out on Wednesdays and we'll be in whatever day that is, August 3rd, we're gonna have a um, ad in that also, um, uh, Reverend Senji Kanata is beginning his peace walk on July 30th. The peace fleet um, is kind of, you know, the golden rule is 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 what is maybe one of the founders of maritime demonstrations. There's probably long be others as well. Um, in this area, in the Peter Sound region, there was a pretty strong um, resistance to ammunition shipments to Vietnam. And they, they called that, I'm looking at the, they called it People's Blockade. Looking at the poster on my wall. I, I wasn't involved in it, but I got the poster. Um, likewise, in 1982, when the USS Ohio came into Bangor, uh, the first Trident submarine, um, outside of Hood Canal or the, at the entrance to Hood Canal, there was a, also a peace blockade there. What happened with our, this event that's still ongoing, it began in, in uh, 1997, the USS Ohio um, came to Seafair and they brought it in into Elliott Bay. I suspect um, I would think it had nuclear weapons on it. Uh, people were pretty upset about it. And there's a lot of discussion. And the Navy said, and Seafair said, that they would never bring in a Trident submarine into Elliott Bay again for Seafair. Well, they, they couldn't resist, of course. So in 2000, they brought in the USS Alabama. And actually, I was on the shoreline um, in 1997 and just feeling, you know, just helpless watching this thing come in. Um, Green, Greenpeace was out there with a the boat, but that, that was not a lot else was going on. Um, and I 
about at that time, if they ever did this again, I was going to go out in a boat myself. And so in 2000, we did that. We had a 16-foot boat, and they the Navy allowed us to, you know, move along with it. We stayed a distance, like 500 yards or so, but – and fortunately <laughs> – um, there's like some kind of, I mean, Tom would know, um, a lot more about this being a submarine, uh, commander, but there's some kind of weird undertow or something from the submarines that almost pulled us into, you know, sunk us, um, at one point with our 16 foot <laughs> skiff, but they allowed us to, um, travel outside, you know, and with in Elliott Bay, you know, following this submarine. But when the fleet came in, um, when it was time for the prey to ships, and that's what this is all about. So that every year at Seafair, it's called the prey to ships or the um, pass and review or whatever they want to call it. Um, fleet arrival for Seafair, the, the Navy will send, you know, they'll pick three or four Navy ships. Usually there'll be three or four Canadian vessels. Um, and then three or, you know, maybe three Coast Guard vessels. So that this fleet comes in this parade and it will pass Pier 66. And, you know, the Navy brass will be out there. And, you know, the Navy band usually um, as, you know, as the fleet comes in and then it, they park the fleet uh, you know, the ship's uh, docked for about a, for a week in Seattle, and that's part of the fleet week, they call it, at Seafair. So in 2000, when this, you know, event that was staged, you know, happened, we were, we were then chased out of Elliott Bay. We told, the, you know, the party's over for us. You know, they're doing their um, fleet arrivals, so we were chased out. Um, and we didn't really didn't think a lot about it. You know, I did, a, I do research. So I did a bunch of FOIA requests and public records requests with the port and discovered actually that it was pretty insane what had happened to us. We discovered that um, at the Shoreline Library, we had an event to inform people about um, nuclear weapons and, and to prepare for the peace fleet coming up. And the Port of Seattle police officer who was in charge of the whole operations for the fleet arrival came to our meeting incognito as, you know, he was basically spying on us. He told us he was a Catholic worker. And we later discovered he was in charge of the whole thing. The Navy was spying on us during that time period. But, you know, it was over. We didn't, you know. We didn't really plan to do another one. And then in 2003, we discovered that the Navy was shooting depleted uranium, you know, on their 20 millimeter uh, guns uh, in prime fishing waters off the coast of Washington. So we decided we should get going again and at least meet the, the Navy on this. And our theme was always, you know, anti-nuclear. We, we always raised the, the issue of you know, the Bangor sub-base and the, the nuclear weapons there. But we felt, you know, with the depleted uranium, it was, we, that was just too obscene. So we, we tried to make an issue of that. That was another weird year where the, we discovered late, later that the FBI actually was in West Seattle and watched us launch our boats from West Seattle. 
And his FBI report was, we did everything we said we would do. We stayed away from the other boats. We had, you know, we had, I don't know how many boats we had, maybe four or five or whatever it was. And we kept our distance from the fleet. Um, And it was a good, you know, we always, the people on the shore were always a big part of the event. And so a good presence on the shore. Um, 2004, um, I guess they, we were targeted. Um, Actually, Mike McCormick and I were out in, just the two of us were in this, um, it was an inflatable boat. And when Mike and I went out, the first thing we saw was a helicopter. And we were thinking, is that looking at us? And it's like over our heads, following us everywhere we went. And we had just multiple uh, Coast Guard vessels come up to us. Um, in the end, we were arrested. Or not arrested, but we were held at gunpoint at Bell Harbor Marina by the Coast Guard at the end, at the end of the day. And I was didn't know it until later, but I was charged with being 100 yards from the Bonhomme Richard. It's this large amphibious assault vessel. It's kind of like a, it's, it's like an aircraft carrier, smaller aircraft carrier, huge ship. But I was charged with being within 100 yards of it. And Mike and I had never even seen it. We, we hadn't gotten close to it. And partly because we had Coast Guard vessels harassing us all day long. But it went... In 2004, um, they tried to charge me with a criminal offense, $250,000, six years in jail. Then they lowered it to, I don't know, um, they lowered the fine to $32,500. And I had a Coast Guard hearing and got to actually... It went on for like eight hours, the hearing, and I got to subpoena everyone I could think of. And they, I think they got everyone except for the poor Shallow would not let me interview one of their security guys. They ended up dropping all the charges. They, and w- what it was, was the, the Coast Guard guy in charge of the whole operation was lying. He was a mile away and he said he was right next to us. And, and so I got a warning out of it. Um, I mean, this is a bad way to start out by trying to get people to come join us. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not, it has this ups. So since then it's had, it's had its ups and downs. I think, um, you know, generally, you know, the port, the Navy League in Seattle is a big part of this, the planning, the Navy League, the Navy, the Port of Seattle, the Coast Guard, Seafair, I don't know, even know what kind of part they have in it. It's called a seafair event. And of course, there's seafair people there, but it's a show for the military. It's, it's to show off and it's a recruiting, recruiting event. Um, this year, um, well, let's see. In the last time the fleet came in was 2019. And for the last couple of years, the port had been letting us launch kayaks right out of Bell Harbor Marina, which is Pier 66, right downtown. You can carry your kayaks in. There's parking down there. It's actually really convenient. 
and other um, protest boats would come in and meet at Bell Harbor and dock there. And so there's no fee for them if they're just coming in. And we'd launch out of there, out of Bell Harbor Marina, and we'd meet the fleet, um, Navy fleet. So the last time we did that was 2019. It went pretty well um, for us. You know, sometimes we're as, as many people down there as there are pe Navy people. At times we've been mixed in with them. This time in 2019, I think they had a fence up on the rooftop of Pier 66 for some of the Navy operations. Um, wasn't ideal for us. Uh, in 20, 2020 and 21, the Navy didn't come. And we went out there anyway. We, we go out there anyway and um, have a peace fleet without them. Works fine. It's really nice and peaceful, <laughs> quiet. <laughs> <laughs> out in the water. Seattle is beautiful from the water. It is really an awesome. You just cruise around. And there's really very few boats out there. Um, so this year... Um, the Navy, just, you know, we've been looking forward to Pier 62 to open up. It's a, it's a really a cool pier, and they used to have concerts there and stuff. So uh, they're doing construction on the rooftop of Pier 66. They still could use the regular lower level of Pier 66, but the Navy decided to move their um, Navy brass and the band down to Pier 62. And basically, if you read about it with the Navy League newsletter and stuff, Navy League newsletter and what you see on Seafair, they basically want to take over Pier 62. And they also have an, the Coast Guard established, like in 2011, a no protest zone. It's, they call it a safety zone that extends 100 yards out from Pier 66. And they went through a rulemaking process the ACLU was involved and, you know, it was a real formal process to establish these four points, geographical points for their, um, what they call a safety zone, uh, supposedly so vessels can go through if there's an emergency as though the Coast Guard ever had a problem moving boats out of its way in an emergency. But, but now they're saying they want to extend this um, no protest zone down to Pier 62. So they want to extend it about 170 yards. And my, you know, my kind of my fear is they're fencing off part of Pier 62. You know, basically it's a public event, but the public can't go to it. You know, it's you're okay if you're behind the chain link fence. Um, so I've asked actually yesterday I, I wrote to the Shell Parks Department and ask them about this, what the rights of citizens are, whether they can fence off areas and keep the public out or whether they, the Navy should even be using it because you know the Navy SEALs were just booted out of the Washington State Parks. And why are we, this is a major recruiting event for the Navy. Why are they using the Seattle Park for that? Uh, I haven't gotten a response, so um, anyway. Vets for Peace is a big part, has always been a big part of this event. And the Vets for Peace flags are beautiful on the shoreline. They've always have, they, they show up year after year. And vets have gone out in boats and sailboats. Um, huge, huge part of it. 
Um, and so, I, you know, the other thing that's happening at Seafair, and this is, you know, something you can't ignore is, you know, of course the Blue Angels are coming. This year is the first year that they, they had the regular uh, Leg Legacy Hornet or F-18. I think it's uh, B or CD, uh, F-18 CD. So now they, they changed it to a Super Hornet, which is 20% larger. It's basically the same. It's the same frame as the Growlers on Woodby Island. And, the you know, Seafarer said this will be more fun because it's a little bit louder and, and they're bigger also. You know, they're like 20% bigger. Um, so this will be fun. They're loud. So I, I did a FOIA request last winter last december asking the navy how much louder are they and, and what what kind of problems has it caused and i found out the response and this was a Seattle times article was in the el centro um, air base in california they the blue angels were practicing and one blue angel jet did what they call a sneak pass a sneak pass is where they are Really, Tom can't believe this, but it's true. <laughs> They're 50 feet off the ground or off the water with this, this jet. And uh, so anyway, they were doing a sneak pass. The one Blue Angel jet in El Centro was doing a, a, a sneak pass, regular maneuver. And it was an estimated $180,000 damage to the buildings. And, it, you know, like the ceiling tiles are falling on the firefighters and, um, you know, they felt their ears were damaged. And um, and then they did an investigation and they determined the guy did everything right. There wasn't anything wrong with his maneuver. He did exactly right. And uh, they uh, so, I mean, here's the Navy. The Navy will is will say this. They'll say, we need to figure that out. <laughs> We need to figure out what happened there. Well, yeah, they, they should. Uh, but anyway, they're coming um, to Seafair this year, first time. Also, which is even more disturbing to me, is they're bringing F-35 fighters, you know, the F-35, and which was, I believe, designed, the primary design for it was carrying nuclear weapons. And, it, and it's, you know, they sell them to NATO nations. I think Israel has got the first ones. Um, they're trying to sell them to whoever they they can. Uh, the, a lot of some of the NATO nations will be getting this low yield nuclear bomb with them. It's a B sixty one dash twelve. It goes up to I don't know maybe like six kilotons um, to fifty kilo, kilo kilotons. Actually, one hundred and thirty five. 135. It's oh, okay. A, it's a variable yield, and the highest yield is 135, and the lowest is half a, a, a kiloton. Half a kiloton. Yeah, but 135 kilotons, and and uh, so so you know the the military is more is better. So you know you know they're they're going to just turn the turn turn the switch up to you know level four, and uh, it, it it it's it's a big bomb. Yeah, and, and and it's it's ready to be to be deployed, and the F thirty fives were just last winter, I think, or last fall, they were approved to carry 
nuclear weapons. And, you know, it's just in time for you, you know, for the Ukraine, you know, to, to get this. I haven't, haven't read anything in terms of what, what the plan is, but I'm sure that's first on their list is get this deployed over in, in the Ukraine or in that area. Um, yeah, the F-35 actually carries two of these bombs up inside the plane. So they're not like where the fighter plane, a lot of times they'll carry the bombs underneath the wings. So these are, you know, designed inside the plane, you know, for, so it can continue with its stealth capabilities. So you have, um, you know, I don't know, you know, you Trident submarine is, is the more you learn about the Trident, and the submarine system is it's it's terrifying uh what it can do um but when i read about the f-35 i mean the, the idea of an airplane that can fly in and and another country can't detect it and it's got nuclear bombs on it that's that would be pretty terrifying to another country i would think as well well and then yeah, with the Trident, they don't know that the submarine's there, of course. It can be anywhere, and they can launch from anywhere and a lot of missiles, you know, 20 missiles on one. So anyway, that's this whole idea with Peacefully. That's, I would, if I had a plane, I would fly with the Blue Angels with a sign. I probably wouldn't last long, but <laughs> I can't do that. So I can go out in a boat instead, and that's the only thing I can do. Um, and, you know, invite invite people to come um you know rather than stay in your backyard and curse at the blue angels you can go out and do something about it you know um so yeah i mean that's i mean that's a you know the narrative that we're fed all the time is that we are insignificant you know we're small we don't know what we're doing we're not experts we need to trust the people in power um, but none of that is true. I mean, and like Larry Whitner, who's a historian on nuclear weapons and on the anti-nuclear weapons movements, said that if people had any idea how much power they have, they'd be out in the streets every day. And that's, I believe that. I believe that. Well, let me just jump in. I, I made a mistake. Uh, you, can, you can record that somewhere that uh, Tom has made a mistake today. Um, but uh, you you were right, Glenn. The uh, maximum yield is fifty kiloton, uh, which is which is still a really 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 large warhead. Yeah, it's also interesting that it's the the bombs are have their own uh, inertial guidance systems and an accuracy of approximately thirty meters. So um, they're, they're just very advanced, awful uh, uh, weapons. They're they're proud of the. I, well, I don't know if they're proud of the fact, but the, the the tail piece of the bomb, and it's pretty large. They say that it's it costs more to produce it than its weight in gold. <laughs> For some reason, the weight of gold of the the rear end of this bomb is is more expensive than if it were solid gold actually actually uh it um it really costs about uh fifteen thousand dollars the rest of it's all profit for boeing yeah probably 
<laughs> you know, there's a lot of, <clears throat> can you hear me? Yes. Okay. There's a lot of uh, uh, hype about uh, Top Gun, you know, Tom Cruise and sequels and that sort of thing. But it's my understanding, and it certainly was my experience in Vietnam, is that these uh, uh, jets, these fighter jets, which are actually small bombers, they're not really used in air-to-air -air combat. It's rare, relatively rare, even going back to Korea and Vietnam, that they were used as air-to-air. -air. But that's the, that's the hype that they're given, that you've got these pilots who are doing air-to-air -air combat with other foreign uh, air forces. But in fact, that they actually are bombers. Uh, and as you, you said, it, uh, what I saw in Vietnam was that they were actually, they delivered non-guided missiles. They were like 250, 300 or 500 pound bombs. Um, and apparently they, these, these type of jets are being used uh, by the Soviets and, and uh, Americans too in, in the Middle East. So um, they are, you have to say that these jets these Blue Angels are very popular among many people in, in Puget Sound area. And uh, I've, I've uh, <clears throat> broken up a couple of dinner parties by saying, you know, uh, talking about people who is, a, you know, who are otherwise progressive people. I says, you know, you know, you know what these things are used for. These things are used to kill people. And, uh, um, but, you know, I said, they're, they're so pretty, you know, they're beautiful. You know? Yeah. And as somebody who actually saw what they looked like and what the aftermath of what these planes can do on the ground is, is uh, it's the disconnect is, is just astonishing and, and no less than a disconnect of what people have about nuclear weapons generally. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that the only way to keep doing this uh, uh, nuclear weapons in, in general and specifically the Blue Angels is, is that, is that uh, uh, the on on the ground presence, active demonstrations to make the issue of people are, are so uninformed about this. It's it's astonishing, uh, and uh, the uh, protests at Seafair and and other places make this a, a little bit more front and center. Uh, and also, as you mentioned, uh, Boeing's connection to it. They're up up to their necks in uh, in uh, not only plane production but also drone production. They they or a major drone producer for the United States. Yeah, Boeing is a sponsor for both the fleet arrival and the airfield. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know if it's a good idea for, I mean, you know, I don't know what kind of jets the Blue Angels started out with, but, you know, the, the Super Hornet, as you say, it's not really made for dogfights or anything like that. No. It, it's, it's a, I don't know how, great an idea is for these things to be doing maneuvers and supposedly they're 18 inches apart from each other the wings wings and you know i mean when you think about it this is pretty insane <laughs> these things are flying over populated areas and of course we don't have a choice we're, we're not asked about it um yeah i mean these are these are combat aircraft and uh uh I don't know if you'd carry a nuclear weapon is considered a tactical weapon, but it, it, it could be, but they're, they're a tactical, they're used, often used as tactical, you know, on the ground sure. uh, platforms, weapons platforms. And uh, um, the, 
the fact that they're they're actually flying over head and 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 as you say, eighteen inches apart sometimes. I personally think that the only only time that they'll the only time that the city would actually ban them is if they have a crash and kill somebody. Uh, sadly, I think that that's the only way it'll it'll happen. Um, and with these these kind of maneuvers, I don't think it's it's probably inevitable that something like this is going to happen. You know, it happens at air shows, and if it happens over a populated area, there's going to be a whole bunch of people killed. Um, and at that point, maybe they'll stop doing this. I don't know. It it has happened. I think there was. I believe there was a Blue Angels crash in the North End. I'm, I don't. I should I should know this, but um, they do crash in their shows. I mean, the if uh, like on Wikipedia, I think it has. Uh, if you look at the number of pilots killed, Blue Angels pilots, it's like ten percent of them or something die in plane crashes. It's it's just unbelievable how high it is. Well, without being a, a a pilot, it's my understanding that even piloting these these aircraft is not an easy thing to do because they are jet aircraft and uh, they're designed to operate at high speeds. Um, and even under normal conditions, they're difficult to fly, much less in a in a sort of an aerial show. Um, so. They're made by Boeing, so that yeah. would, <laughs> they're a brick with wings. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what basically what jets are, you know. <laughs> you know, if you don't have any air jet engines, they drop like a stone. It's not like a regular prop plane. Right. So, you know, the interesting thing on, on Seafair, I've, I've found this, you know, the, you know, we're talking about the narrative, you know, of, of Seafair and, and how, you know, we're told that you know, this is awesome, these jets, and this is reinforced over and over and over. Um, one of the uh, classic um, seafare events is the milk carton derby. And that's really like the one of the few events that's really, in my mind, kind of a cool, you know, so cool event. Well, I used to, when I was a kid, we all, everyone thought the hydroplanes were cool. You know, we'd always drag a hydroplane behind our bikes and stuff, but uh but this year they didn't have a sponsor for the milk carton derby. So they, this is the classic, right? They have all the money for these other events, but they canceled the milk carton derby because they didn't have funding for it. But the thing that was most amazing about it was because I knew this had happened and I got, you know, one of my email feeds was about the milk carton derby and Fox news this year actually ran a show on the milk carton derby as though it happened. And, you know, you can see they announced it like at nine in the morning on the day it would have happened. And they had like a, a minute blurb on it and all these people out in like in Green Lake as though they were doing it, but they never did. And it's just it's almost gotten to that point. Like, it doesn't even matter whether they do it. And, the, you know, <laughs> you know, with the fleet arrival, you know, some years we've the Peace Fleet's gotten pretty good press coverage sometimes. But a lot of times you can see the TV cameras are trying to get a, you know, they're trying to get a picture of the Navy vessels without us in it. And they're struggling to do that. I mean, that's not really reporting the news, you know. And actually, I was telling a Seattle Times reporter the other day that the Seattle Times has never, it's like we should get an award for this, I think. We've had a major, a pretty significant event. There's been some really 
weird stuff. There's been trials and things like that. Um, and we were never covered by the Seattle Times. <laughs> it's just almost like you should get an award for that. We're seen as, um, I don't know, um, unworthy or something by the Seattle Times. I don't, I don't know why. I think it has to do with the, with the, with the editorial leadership of the Seattle Times, which is Bethlehem and, and company, which are very conservative uh, uh, sure. group of people. And uh, they don't want people like you or VFP out there uh, sullying the reputation of the U.S. Navy and their nuclear weapons, you know, and spoiling the fun for everybody. It's supposed to be about the kitties, right? That's the jarring, just yeah. jarring disconnect. There's a lot of seafare which is kind of kooky and fun, you know, like the seafare, you know, and, and the and the parades and that sort of thing. But then the, you've got this jarring disconnect of, of, of these weapons of mass destruction, basically, uh, mm -hmm. navy ships and uh, aircraft, aircraft uh, which are used to kill people, and uh, you know what. Is there some sort of disconnect between that, that and the kiddies parade? You know, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. 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 But I, one of the things I, that really um, makes me crazy is uh, this uh, B61 uh, 12 program um, is 400 bombs. Um that is uh, scheduled to be completed by 2025. It is so far under the radar, nobody knows about it. And um, the those nuclear weapons are not covered by any international agreements. So um, it's, it's just piling on capabilities uh, without any any international controls, the uh, New Start, which for us is the best treaty that we have, uh, and it's just a treaty between the U.S. and Russia, limits the deployed nuclear weapons, which really is the strategic nuclear weapons that are carried on Tridents. It's the ICBMs in the Midwest, and it's the uh, nuclear bombs that are carried uh, on the B-2 bombers from, from Whiteman Air Force Base. All of that is very well controlled with intrusive uh, inspections by both sides. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And the controls really seem to work. Um, but then you get uh, a different weapon system that's outside that regime Nobody has any any control over it uh, in terms of of international controls, uh, and it's 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 a boondoggle for the weapons industry. Doesn't make the U.S. any safer. It makes the U.S. Uh, less safe, uh, and it costs a whole lot of money. Um, so. Uh, those weapon systems, and in fact, like Ground Zero, uh, uh, exists to resist the Trident weapon system, which uh, is uh, a good thing to do. Um, but I don't know of any any organizations that that are are focused on these kinds of 
quote, tactical uh, weapon systems that are just starting to creep in. Uh, it's been, let's see, 1990, 1988 was when the tactical nuclear weapons were removed from uh, all of the armed forces uh, during the Bush 41 uh, administration. And um, they're, they're starting to creep back in with things like the, the B-6112. But I remember when I was in command of a, a submarine, I had had uh, tactical nuclear weapons on board. And uh, then one day we got a message and said, um, we're not gonna have any more tactical nuclear weapons. And they were all removed. And it was one of the best days of my command. Um, and they were removed from aircraft carriers. They were removed from uh, Army and Marine Corps and Air Force units. And, and they went away, thousands of nuclear weapons and were dismantled. And that was a unilateral uh, program um, that was done just because there was no mission for those weapons. And now we're... We're creeping back in again, and, and it's scary. And uh, people need to know about that, and they don't know about it. It's, it's, it's very frustrating. Well, there's, I mean, they're talking about putting um, nuclear weapons on surface ships again, and, and, and it comes out with, you know, there's always like a design or a program or something like that, and a little bit of money gets put in every year, and I believe um, the Navy is opposed to it. Um, and it's the Congress is pushing it. And well, exactly. Uh, that, that's, it, it's really crazy. Um, the, the Navy has basically, uh, come out and said the, the sea launch cruise missile nuclear is, is unwanted, costly, and redundant. Those, those are words uh, from the Navy. And, uh, they say for every, nuclear weapon we put on board a ship that's one less conventional weapon that we can carry plus uh what are you going to do with those weapons when the ship is in port are we going to have ships home ported in san diego carrying nuclear weapons are we going to have ships home ported in everett uh carrying nuclear weapons ships home ported in uh, pearl harbor carrying nuclear weapons because right now that does not exist and, uh, the, and that's one of the Navy is you got to build all that new infrastructure again that went away uh, 30 years ago. So yeah. um, uh, again, again, but it, it, it's, it's the industry that is financing the uh, legislators that are pushing these programs. And and it, it's, it's a sick, sick, sick way to do business. I would imagine from the Navy's point of view that uh, um, it adds an extra level of security that they don't want to have to deal with. You know, these, you know. Hmm. You know, I, I, I carry nuclear weapons on every ship I was, I, I was in uh, my whole career. And I re just remember that day when the nuclear weapons were removed and we had had a nuclear weapons security guard on those weapons 
24 hours a day, seven days a week for years. And, and I, I was the captain. I took the pleasure and I walked down into the, the, the torpedo room where, where those weapons had been stored and the watch was still there. And I said, Petty Officer Christensen, you are relieved. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. They were gone. How, how easy it was to do. Yet we, we keep hearing how horribly difficult it is to do. Uh, one of the, the things we need to do better right now is to dismantle these obsolete weapons uh, that, that still exist um, in, I think most of them are down at, uh, at uh, White Sands uh, where they're supposed to be dismantled. But according to uh, the um, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, um, in the last year, they've only dismantled 75 weapons and they've got like, oh, 3,500. <laughs> So, so, you know, there, who wants to send money, who wants to spend money on dismantling weapons when you can buy shiny new things? It, it's, it just makes me crazy. Um, so uh, I, I just had to, had, to, had, to, had to say all that. <laughs> well, it's an interesting remark because of the... Uh... You know, the military and the Navy in particular, Air Force too, they don't find any need for these kind of weapons uh, uh, anymore. And uh, as you say, it's an industry uh, driven uh, uh, business. It's not that the United States doesn't realize what, what sort of uh, how dangerous these are. I mean, after the end of the uh, Soviet Union and all these weapons, nuclear weapons were rattling around Eastern Europe unsecured. United States with the Soviets at that time collaborated and collected these weapons and dismantled them and destroyed them. And uh, uh, so we do realize how dangerous it is to have these weapons laying around. And even in storage, you've got to, uh, uh, I would assume that they're not, they don't have any triggers on them, but you know, <laughs> nuclear weapons are, are dangerous in, in any sort of yeah, anybody who thinks they're safe ought to be in another line of work. Yeah. But, uh, well, let's see. We just got a few more minutes here to uh, round up the show. I just want to mention, uh, maybe you could uh, uh, talk about, uh, Glenn, about uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the events that are planned. Well, this show is going to be broadcast for the end of the month, that is uh, July. But um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki is the 7th and 6th, 7th and 8th. Seven days. Yeah. yeah. T-Suite on August 1st, Monday. Yeah. And then Sunday, I mean, we would normally have an event on this August 6th as well, but we leave it open for Hiroshima to Hope in Seattle. A lot of, a lot of Ground Zero people work, are involved in Hiroshima to Hope event at Green Lake. Um, so on the 7th, we, we have, um, um all day event um you know it'd be nonviolence training and monday morning on the 8th is we 
have our demonstration at the entrance to the base that like at six in the morning, something like that, six thirty, when when people are coming in um, to go to work is that's when we'll block the highway. We have Dave Hall doing a presentation on Sunday on on nuclear weapons. Um, we have Mary Aldridge, who is Bob Aldridge's daughter, will be speaking. Um, you know, uh, Bob Aldridge was the missile designer who was working on the Trident missile system, and he resigned in 1973. That basically started uh, the resistance in this area, um, or for a lot of people, started resistance in this area to the Trident. We'll also have uh, Larry Kirshner, if I pronounce that right, will be doing uh, a poetry workshop. Uh, Tom Rawson, who's long time been involved in Ground Zero, will be playing and singing with his banjo. Um, I may have missed something. But no, that's, that's Sunday night. That, that'll be Sunday after night. dinner on Sunday. And, uh, make a day of it. Yeah. Yep. Well, great. Uh, Thanks, you guys, for being a uh, uh, guest on this VFP 92 radio show. I would hope that next uh, month we would do a recap of what uh, what happened actually in, in uh, July and, uh, and uh, first part of August, but also uh, look at uh, what, what the future looks like for dealing with and talking about nuclear weapons and, and uh, particularly in Puget Sound area. Sort of, uh, where do we go from here? Uh, have we, you know, a little self-examination is always useful and in, in kind of, you know, how, how effective are our tactics and what do we need to do? Uh, clearly what we need to do is a lot, but uh, I think an examination of uh, how we go forward is, is, would be a useful sort of uh, uh, discussion. Okay, well, thank you guys. Uh, this concludes our radio show for now. Um, I'll uh, I'll put this up for Mike and uh, see how it's, see how it sounds.